0: Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy. Thank you so much for downloading another episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter and the founder of AgGrab. Hey, one of the things I love doing most about this podcast is the chance to view agriculture and agribusiness from a number of different lenses. That lens may be a farmer, a someone who works in agribusiness, a... Ag startup founder, a consumer, an educator, a parent, and every episode kind of contains a bit of a different lens on our industry and the issues that are occurring in our industry. Certainly relevant to today's guest, we have on the show Sam Goldberg. Sam didn't grow up around agriculture. He is, in fact, a movie producer, which you're going to hear a lot more about how that process works. And he has been brought to agriculture through his work as a film producer when he was pitched a concept for a story about a grain entrapment incident. Um And the events and characters leading up to this grain entrapment incident. For those of you who haven't been around grain or grain handling or grain processing, you may not know that grain entrapment or or grain engulfment is a very, very real and very, very serious risk. Whenever you're handling grain, there inevitably becomes times where you are forced to either get into a bin or some sort of Um, container that's storing the grain well this is extremely dangerous uh, for a number of reasons in in some cases the grain can actually build up and stick to the wall and it can fall and and entrap or engulf um, someone in the bin in other cases it may seem like there is a solid Uh, layer of grain when in reality underneath that layer, it's just been bridged up. And so it's actually empty space and you can get on there and the grain could fall uh, and you could become engulfed. It does not take very long at all. It's extremely quick and sudden for something to go from a normal circumstance of just handling grain in order to get it to go uh, out, out the bottom spout or through an auger or whatever the case may be to actually being fully engulfed, almost like quicksand uh, in a way. So it's a very real risk and it does kill a number of people um, in the United States and, and, and globally. So it's, it's an issue that even a lot of us in agriculture don't really know about or don't really think about it, but it's a real risk for farmers and people who work in the grain industry. Uh, there are a number of safety protocols that have been put in place, which have decreased the number of deaths, but it's still a very real thing that happens. And so Sam was pitched this concept about a film that would talk about a rural community and the people who, uh, ended up being involved in this grain entrapment incident. He was captivated by the concept, didn't know anything about, about grain or, or about agriculture, and kind of caught fire in a passion for these rural communities and the way that agriculture holds everybody together. So I was really enthralled by this and also just enjoyed learning about the process of how a concept becomes a full-length feature film. Uh, Sam right now has a short film that they just showed at the Tribeca Film Festival that uh, is kind of serving as a concept um, in order to raise the funds and to complete the process of creating this full-length feature film uh, about this about this story. So I, I really enjoyed this interview. I know you will, too. But without further ado, here is my guest, Sam Goldberg, an independent film producer from New York City. Hey, very excited to have on the podcast today, Sam Goldberg, a film producer from New York City. Sam, thanks so much for being here. Uh, thanks for having me, Tim. Now, you are in the middle of Kentucky right now, aren't you? I am yeah, I'm doing but, some location scouting for a feature film. Yeah, but you're not from Kentucky, so tell tell me a little bit more about your background.
1: So uh, I grew up in Manhattan in New York City. I uh, was on the Upper West Side, and actually had a few neighbors who were professional actors and musicians. And I was always, I guess, taken by what they did for a living, and found myself wanting to be in the entertainment business. So for almost 20 plus years now, since I was a teenager. I've been involved either as an actor, a writer, or a producer in the, uh, film and television business. So
0: how, how, uh, how did you get your start? I know, um, I want to talk more about what, you know, kind of more of the context of, of the ag stuff when, when we get to it. But before that, how, how does one just become a part of the entertainment business?
1: I had a lucky start, Tim. I, uh, I went to a management company that represented child actors when I was eight or nine years old. Um, and they, they, signed me as a, as like, you know, talent, I guess, like somebody that they could send on auditions. And in my early teens, uh, or even before that, I auditioned for Star Wars episode one and ransom and analyze this and all these movies. And, uh, I didn't get, I didn't get any of them, but when I was 13, I was cast in a movie called keeping the faith, um, with Edward Norton and Ben Stiller.
0: I've seen it. Yeah, it's a good one. Okay. Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. So I played I played the little Ben Stiller at the beginning of that film. Um, and that was, you know, kind of my path. I thought I'd be in front of the camera for my career. But uh, when I got to high school, I wasn't it wasn't something I had like an undying love for. You know, I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to try and go to summer camp. I had other hobbies. So I took a hiatus from performing. And then when I went to college in Philadelphia, I focused on on English language studies and cinema studies. And my love for filmmaking, entertainment, media kind of built behind the camera, and I started doing some writing, doing some directing of theater, and then doing some producing of film, and, uh, you know, I guess it's like anything in life, right? You don't know exactly where you're going to end up, but as long as you follow that bullseye of your passion, uh, you tend to land on your feet. And so uh, I'm still still looking for that footing, but feeling pretty excited about where I'm at at the moment.
0: Awesome. So we have never met in person yet, uh, but I have to ask, did, did you grow up to look anything like Ben Stiller? <laughs>
1: Um, <laughs> you'll have to look me up on Facebook. I would say not quite, right. not quite. We, <laughs> do. Ironically, and they may get angry at me in retrospect, but Ben Stiller has blue eyes and I have dark brown eyes, but they cast me as the young Ben Stiller anyway. So I guess, uh, I guess the, the audience was so taken by the movie's comedy. that close
0: enough attention to that one. There you go. A little bit of suspension of, of disbelief there. Um, well, <laughs> so so uh, tell us what, what's bringing you here to, uh, to the ag industry, the Future of Agriculture podcast. It's the project you're working on right now, but uh, tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yes. So it's, uh, it's been a really exciting couple of years on this project. I basically met a filmmaker named Marshall Burnett two and a half years ago, and he lives in Nashville, Tennessee, and we had mutual friends. And they said, Marshall's got a really great idea for a story. And he's looking for a film producer to help him get it off the ground when you guys connect. So I said, you know, sure. That's, that's sort of what I do for a living. I, as a producer, you're fundamentally a, a facilitator of somebody's creative vision. You know whether you're a music producer a movie producer, you work in fine arts. What you do is you have somebody give you an idea and you try and nurture it and mold it and get it on a screen, on a canvas, in your headphones, and out into the world, right? And so I said, yeah, let's let's connect. Marshall came up to New York from Tennessee and we met at my apartment and he said, well, he proceeded actually to hand me a a notebook and it said on the front silo and I flipped through it and it had photos of various sort of Farming, uh, I guess, pictures, photos, imagery, and culminating in what looked to be an accident. So I said, So what's going on here? And he described for me an idea that he had about a movie about a grain entrapment accident. Uh, and I had not heard of the term grain entrapment, and my knowledge of agriculture was very, very limited. I mean, I, I grew up in New York City. Uh, you know, this is kind of, if there were ever a city that's known for immediacy of results, it's New York. And so the concept of long-form farming and patient agricultural thinking was not really my bag. Uh, so I was immediately taken by it because I think I, I like stuff that I get to learn about for the first time. And I also thought that the idea of doing a movie that was about an, an accident or a rescue could make something provocative and interesting. So, uh, so Marshall Burnett, who's a director of, down in Nashville, uh, decided to sort of recount for me an idea he had about a grain entrapment story where essentially we would get to know a family in a small farm town in middle America. And, you know, a certain portion into the movie, like what we call the end of act one, an accident befalls two brothers on a farm, uh, a corn and, and soy operation, and they get stuck in a bin. And then the movie is an ensemble piece of, you know, various different personalities in this community, all of whom know each other because uh, like I've learned a lot of these farm towns, you know, between 800 and 2000 people, it's like a local family. You know, the guy who comes to rescue you could be your uncle, your friend, even your dad, uh, the local, you know, Sergeant might've gone to high school with you. And so we, we started to kind of come up with this idea, uh, that we would make a rescue movie in a small farm town about a farm community that is dealing with this accident as it's happening. And the movie takes place over 24 hours. And I, I immediately, myself and my business partner, Elon, we looked at each other and we said, we want to make this movie. Um, and we, we had worked on a couple of short films together. We had developed a couple of larger budget projects at the studios, we had one at Warner Brothers, um, another one with a company called The Weinstein Company, but we hadn't yet had a movie that we wanted to go spend two, three, four years on and pour ourselves into that we knew we could raise the money for independently and logisticate on our own. And so we, we said to Marshall, we're in, buddy, let's let's do this. So. We found a screenwriter, a guy named Jason Williamson, who was actually writing plays in New York, but he's from a farm town in North Carolina. We sent him down to meet Marshall in Nashville. They drove around a few states down south, um, and they just did some, you know, information gathering. They wanted to make sure that they were accurate, authentic, et cetera. They started to write a script together. They wrote a great screenplay, which is currently called Silo. And that began this kind of, uh, I don't want to be cliche, but it's been a journey, like a journey towards making a movie that accurately depicts the plight of the corn farmer through the lens of one of these sort of harrowing accidents. And um, I'm in Kentucky right now scouting farm locations to make a pretty big movie at the end of this summer.
0: So, so as a as a producer, a film producer, I'm sure you probably get pitched all the time. I mean, everybody thinks that, you know, I'm sure if, if we sat here for a minute, I could probably spread <laughs> out five ideas I would love to see for a movie. What compelled you and your business partner about this idea specifically?
1: I've been thinking about it lately as concentric circles. Um, the the first concentric circle, which was the widest one, was this would make an entertaining movie. And we want to make movies and TV shows that are entertaining, that people can go and watch and enjoy themselves, and that they can leave the theater with something thought-provoking and, and a conversation driver. That was the first concentric circle. Kind of superficial, but, you know, we trade in ideas, and some ideas are better than others, right? The second concentric circle was... I know very little about agriculture, and I've been paying attention to movies over the last decade or so. And there just aren't a lot of movies that are capturing this way of life. Uh, you know, evidence being, you know, I'm 30 years old. I've been working in the business for eight years, and this is the first time I had seen an idea of this nature. So, for whatever reason, it's not being focused on. So I thought, okay, cool. Now there might be a market for this movie, right? Like there haven't been a lot of them. So not only is it entertaining, but now there's a market. And going one level further, as we dug in and we talked to more and more experts in the field, educators, nonprofits, safety experts, farmers, they're really concerned about farm safety. Um, you know, like most industries, technology has made technology and education has made them safer. But these grain entrapment accidents are so niche and and challenging to both prevent and be reactive to, that it started to become a bit more than just a movie and something that had more social resonance to it. So not only could this be a project that maybe helped save lives eventually, if it went broad enough, and got enough people to see it and scared them enough to want to be safe when they're going into a bin or, or driving a tractor or something else, but also because there haven't been a lot of movies about this way of life and because frankly, There's some very divisive dialogue at the moment in our country between coastal cities and middle America. This, to me, represents a potential bridge for conversation where a a segment of the population can be humanized in such a way that is relatable to anybody. Nobody would ever go through an accident like this. I don't care if you work in a big city or a small farm town and not feel that emotional impact. And fundamentally, movies, I think, should produce empathy and build dialogue. And uh, that's sort of the bigger, definitely the bigger, more lofty goal here. Um, and so that's why I'm excited to be on this podcast, Tim, honestly, because this kind of publicity, this kind of microphone, it helps a project like this immensely. So I appreciate
0: it. No, I appreciate it. I, I'm, I'm really enthralled by, by just this whole process. Um, so, so you and your partner say, yes, this is something we want to c- commit to for the next two, three, maybe even four years to, to seeing this project come to life. You hire the screenwriter. Uh, he's, he's drafting the script. Then what do you do? What's the next stage in the process?
1: So this has been a winding road. We, we went a little bit, a circuitous route to getting towards making the big movie. Uh, the screenplay was finished. We had what you call like a polished draft of it last January. And we need to film the big movie before harvest because we can't get in the way of farmers who are trying to harvest their grain. You know, there's a lot of work. It's 24-hour days and they can't have a film crew around there kind of disrupting their work. And so by the time we had the script last year in 2016, we didn't have time to logisticate and fundraise for the bigger movie. So I called Marshall with Elon and, uh, we said, you know, what can we do in the interim that can help pitch the bigger film, right? Like how can we, get the script out there, but couple it with something that'll be like a companion piece that'll get people interested in the visual nature of this. Because as I said, I didn't know what a grain entrapment was. And even Marshall, who grew up in a farm town in Tennessee, didn't know what a grain entrapment was. So maybe this would be a way to, maybe we could find a way to visually portray what it is we were trying to do. And so Marshall had an idea that we go shoot what we'd call like a proof of concept documentary, something that we could send along with our screenplay to people to get them interested in the project, you know, whether it be as a fundraising tool or just a marketing tool for other purposes. So last May, uh, right around Mother's Day, actually, really right around this time of year, we went to Rising Sun, Indiana and filmed the short version of the movie Silo that we called Silo, colon, Edge of the Real World. Um, and uh, we'll talk a bit more about the title later and kind of why we why we titled it that and gave it that byline. But we went to Rising Sun. We connected with a farmer named Adam Fox and his dad, Sam. And we basically shot a day in the life of a corn farmer like Adam and a day in the life of a high school student named Clay Althoff. Um And it sort of represented two sides of this way of life. And represented two people who could be the potential victims or saviors of one of these accidents. And so our, our documentary is 10 minutes long and it's very atmospheric. And we found that it kind of, it's a little bit chilling. People get a little bit nervous while watching, a little bit scared while watching it. And I guess that's a little bit the goal, um, is to show people like, Hey, this is, this is not your everyday accident. Um, and if you just go about your everyday operation without paying much attention, this could happen to you. So just pay more attention. And um, it served us well. And so now we, we've got our script, we've got our short documentary, now we're fundraising, and I'm in Kentucky scouting our farms and uh the game plan is to shoot last week of August and make you know a 90 minute thrilling movie that hopefully will open in thousands of theaters around the country
0: well you're very kind enough to let me view the the short documentary and I would agree it is it's it's definitely chilling it, it hit me hard I um, before I got into this business I w- um, actually managed a grain facility in binkleman Nebraska so i ha- I have been in grain bins you know shoveling grain um, I have managed other people that 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 were you know in grain bins or working around bins non-stop and it's a Real issue. In fact, in the be uh, or in the short documentary, uh, it says that since 1964, there's been 1,156 people that have died in grain bin accidents, and 200 yeah, of these yeah. have been 200 of those have been teenage boys, uh, and that just hit mm-hmm. me really, really hard. I mean, this is just a, it's a, it's a tragic event. And like you said, um, it's very, very difficult to be proactive about it because you have to get the rest of the grain out of there somehow. And grain does bridge up. It does build up on the edges. Uh, there are augers and and heavy equipment involved and it's a very, very difficult thing to be proactive about and reactive about when it does happen. So, um, I I just can't stress the importance enough of of this issue and getting the word out about this issue. I I just think uh, what's amazing to me, though, is that with, you know, a couple of guys in New York City looking through pictures of grain bins would really be able to understand how important this is from kind of the social perspective, um, which I, I just think is cool.
1: Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I think, you know, we're all the same, right? All, human beings all have the same problems. If we listen to each other, we tend to come to an agreement. You know, if you go in shouting or if you go in with your ears closed, you tend to not pay much attention. And um, we're in the arts and a lot of the arts are excavation. You know, you're trying to dig at a deeper meaning of life. I think that's why a lot of artists go and do what they do. Um, and so for us to not pay attention to the subject um, might have been a little bit short-sighted. I'm not, to, you know, I think a lot of people would have found this interesting. In a lot of ways, we got lucky. We met Marshall. Marshall is a ridiculously talented guy and very, very passionate. Um, and he knows what he wants. You know, you find a lot of artists who are wishy-washy with their vision. Marshall is so specific and so talented. Um, and you know, I'm having such a cool time now in Kentucky. I spent all day today with a guy named Dale Dobson, and Dale is kind of the foremost grain bin safety expert. And he's been driving me around. Larue county and beyond there here in kentucky and introducing me to people showing me how grain works through the auger system and the ways to prevent and be reactive to these accidents so you know, I'm a city slicker, but at some point I'm going to be a grain entrapment and agricultural expert, and that will serve me well. Hopefully not just artistically.
0: I love it. Yeah. So, so you mentioned earlier about why you're calling it uh, silo. Obviously silo and bin, those terms are, are you, depending on which part of the country you're in. They're used fairly interchangeably. But um, edge of the world is kind of the tagline. What? Where did the uh, thought process come from f- for that?
1: So there's a line in our documentary where Clay, the high school student, is in his car, and he says that you know he's about to figure out what he's going to do with his life. He probably wants to get married, settle down, and buy some land. And as an 18-year-old, he says, I'm right on the edge of the real world. And there was just something profound about that statement um, because I think it applies to all of us that we're always on the precipice in some ways of going from childhood to adulthood. And what I've found in the agricultural community, it is such a family driven business that you're always sort of on the edge of that real world. Even when you're, you know, Adam Fox says in our movie, he started driving tractors when he was seven and eight years old, you know, you're kind of always in some ways being prepared for this way of life. And what I love so much about the people that I've met is there's such a sense of social and communal responsibility. There's a real I take care of my neighbor vibe. And that to me is the personal connection I made to this edge of the real world tagline um, because uh, there's just something a bit profound about that.
0: Yeah, there's a real uh, I think just in general stories about agriculture always seem to have some sort of generational element to them. uh, The transition from between being one of the kids and being one of the adults and even being one of the adults to being a decision maker or, you know, kind of a a matriarch or patriarch sort of thing. Um, But yeah, in these, in these rural communities, a lot of times, you know, every story has some sort of generational aspect to it, which I'm hoping everyone, you know, can relate to. I know you just recently were able to uh, show the short documentary at Tribeca uh, yeah. what was the reception there especially I'm curious among no, um, audiences that had no context for this this sort of problem
1: sure and quick shout out to Marshall for coming up with the title of the movie because I realize it might have sounded like I did but I did love it um, and uh, yeah I, I personally awesome. can
0: relate to it so I, I mean I, uh, uh, I I can't say that I got it instantly but but when you when you draw attention to that line in the in the film that uh, it just makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's uh, things that are up for interpretation. I don't mind. You know, some people thought it meant being in farm country means you're on the edge of the real world. Mm-hmm. Some people thought something else, and I, I don't mind that kind of dialogue. You know, I think movies are supposed to spark that kind of interest. Um, right on the tri- on the Tribeca Film Festival side, fantastic experience, amazing film festival. They really nurture projects. They help publicize them. Um, we had five screenings of the movie. The reaction was great. People liked it a lot, and they were very – we got a lot of questions. There's a and a after all the screenings, and all the filmmakers sort of stand up front. And the way it works is that your program of short films are programmed in a group. So we were programmed in a group of six documentaries, all between 8 and 20 minutes. And uh, all the filmmakers stand up front, and I found that we got lobbed. Just very exciting questions. People were just like, what is this? Why do they go up into the bin how come it's not safer? Can they use robotics to to go up there instead of people? Um, What are you doing for the future of this project? It felt more like a teaser. So the reaction was not only positive in terms of just its artistic value, it led to a lot of questions. Um, And that was great, because obviously, as I told you, we're, we're trying to make this bigger movie. And so questions lead to other questions, lead to more contacts, and lead to more opportunity to kind of Spread the uh, spread this opportunity out there.
0: Great. I, I'm curious, um, and this is where my mind goes just naturally, but I'm just curious about the business aspect of of a project like this because I imagine it's not cheap. So, uh, how much how much did that cost just to get to the point where you are now in terms of having that short documentary? And then, how much is the overall project cost?
1: So I'll be—I'll give you ranges. I'll give you ranges because um, I have a few investors and I have to protect their interests, and I can't be totally upfront about um, our total budgets. But I'll give you ranges. Um, Traditionally, you know, you make an independent film, uh, which means it's not being financed by a studio. You want to make it for like under two and a half million dollars because there's so many projects out there. And in order to make enough noise to recuperate your investors' money, you've got to do it at an intelligent budget level. So our movie, our, our total budget for the big film will be under that number. As a, as a percentage of your overall budget, you want to spend somewhere between 3 and 5% on what we call development costs which are costs to getting you ready for production. Um, and our cost for both the short and our screenplay is around that 2 to 3% number um, of our overall budget. It was, it was under $100,000, which for a movie that will end up feeling like it has a lot of scope, Um, I think it will feel like we probably spent a good deal more than that. Um, and one of the keys to doing well in this particular industry and probably most industries, honestly, is being lean and mean, you know, and not over hiring and not overspending early on, but relying on yourself and owning equity in a project that if one day it does explode, like often startups do, whether it be a tech startup or a movie startup, you know, you own equity and you see upside.
0: And and so for you as the producer, uh, one of your responsibilities is to to gather the financing. You don't necessarily finance all that yourself.
1: Oh, uh, I wish, Tim. I wish. <laughs> I, 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 if only, my friend. One day, one day, when, when silos on 10,000 screens around the country, we will, uh, I'll start financing my own movies. Um uh, I did. I did put up some of the initial financing myself, as did my business partner. Um, and we had a really great guy named Carl Radke come on board and help finance the short film. Uh, but we're now out there doing two things simultaneously. We're raising private equity financing, which is you know for-profit financing where people own shares in our movie, and uh, we're we're well on our way to raising as much as we need to get to production. But then we're also working with what you call a fiscal sponsor, which is a nonprofit that helps finance media companies or film companies in particular that have a social action element to them, that have some level of social responsibility and educational extension. Um, And we definitely want Silo to be in that category. We want to use this to educate people on farm safety, eventually give a portion of profits towards nonprofits that work towards that. And so we're also actually raising money in the form of nonprofit tax-deductible donations. Um, and you know, if anybody on this podcast is interested, we're uh, we're at silovafilm.com, dot com, and uh, we have a donations tab, and you can get involved in our movie in
0: whatever way you feel fit. Definitely, and we will we will most definitely link that into the show notes as well, so that uh, if people want to get involved. I, I know this is an issue. Um, well, there's, there's two things here that I think would really resonate. Number one is uh, what you said, which I, I feel like the rural stories, the the agriculturally related stories are underrepresented um, in film. And then number two, this this issue um, uh, hits really close to home for, for a lot of especially Midwest uh, people from the Midwest or people who are connected to farming in the Midwest because um, – Almost everybody knows of somebody who, uh, who has been mm-hmm. touched by, by these types of incidents. So mm-hmm. uh, certainly we'll link that up and encourage people to go um, to go check that out. So uh, the stage we're at right now, you're you're raising, uh, you're raising the funding to, to cover the expenses you were planning to shoot in August. and then uh, I imagine do you already have like a cast put together and all that?
1: So we're going out to cast next week. Um, our final screenplay will be finished on Thursday. We have an awesome casting director. She's worked on shows like girls and house of cards and some great independent films as well. And we're going to start checking availabilities and making offers to actors next week. It is a, it's a really exciting casting process because it's an ensemble film. Um, I don't know if Tim have you seen the movie Magnolia or Crash? Have you seen either of those movies?
0: Is Magnolia the one where the frogs fall from the sky at the end? Yeah, wild movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with uh is it, Tom Cruise is Tom in it? Cruise, is Tom, yeah. Tom
1: Cruise and Philip Seymour Hoffman. So that movie is an it's an ensemble cast where a lot of these stories end up interconnecting and our film is similar except it sort of starts with a lot of the people interconnected. And so we're basically casting 6 to 8 lead roles. Um which makes it a very complex but exciting sort of mix and match process while we
0: cast it that is awesome you, I mean your job is so cool I, I just uh, I'm really kind of geeking out about this tell us about the sort of the business model of um, of film uh, you, you gather the investment and then um, how do you how do you get it to the movie theaters or how does the revenue side work
1: cool well we you know we'll raise financing for the movie it's Uh, there's sort of standard premium that investors are entitled to until profits split between the creative side and the investor side. And then, you know, you make your movie, right? You finish production, you go to the post-production house, you know, we'll probably do it in either Tennessee, Kentucky, or New York, maybe Los Angeles, we'll see. And then we'll edit the movie, we'll put it together. You know, they say, I think they say you make three different movies. There's a movie that you have in your script, there's a movie that you make while you're in physical production on set, and there's a movie you make in post-production when you're editing. And I usually add a fourth one. I think there's a movie you make when you market as well. Um, and so once you edit the movie, right, and you're finished, and you've got your final cut of your film, there are a few different ways to go. These days, the film festival circuit is very popular. You know, you could apply to the Tribeca Film Festival, the Sundance Film Festival in Utah, the Toronto Film Festival, the Cannes Film Festival in France. And if you get into one of those major festivals, buyers, distributors, like Warner Brothers, Fox Searchlight, A24, Sony Pictures Classics, they go to these festivals and they look for movies that are unattached and they would buy them and then they distribute them to exhibitors, you know, theaters around the country and then to other, you know, what we call ancillary revenue streams like Video On Demand, Pay Per View, iTunes, Broadcast, International. And there are a lot of different ways to skin the cat financially. So you can be bought by one of these companies and they can give you what's called a minimum guarantee, which is a nice chunky sum of money that hopefully gets your money out plus, you know, some sort of profit. And then you also see back-end profit participation in all these various potential revenue streams. Um, So that's one way to go, is you get bought out by a distributor. The other way to go is to potentially self-distribute the movie. You know, I'm here in Kentucky, and I'll be actually in Indiana at the end of the week as well, where we shot Silo Edge of the Real World, the short. And we're building a lot of cool relationships with local theaters, landmark theaters, uh, churches, farmers, universities and there's a world in which we might consider actually self distributing our film and creating personal relationships with people who would like to screen the movie so that we can maybe not have to work with an intermediary or a middleman but we can sort of collect revenue directly from our consumer Um, and you know obviously a lot of people in this country there are a lot of people interested in entertainment and movie going and so I'm hoping both of these options will be very viable And we'll have a clear picture of things once we finish editing, which will likely happen sometime
0: in December. Is there a place on your website where where um, someone could just sign up to kind of keep on the list if you ever do want to, you know, uh, you want distributors or people to show private screenings or anything like that, that they can get involved now?
1: So there are two places I'd go. We are on Facebook and you could just put in, search in silo the film and follow us on Facebook. You can either direct message us um, or at silo the You can contact us directly and just shoot us an email. And we're, we're always looking to make new friends, new connections and uh, it could be somebody who wants to donate or invest in the movie. It could be somebody who wants to screen the movie. It could just be somebody who wants to be uh, another voice in the room and has an idea about how we should make this movie. We're truly... We want to be as authentic as possible. And so we've definitely been canvassing the world of agriculture and the world of movie making to make sure we make the best possible
0: product story. Random question for you. You have your, your grain bin expert, uh, grain entrapment expert. Where do you find someone like that? When you, I'm sure whatever film you work on, you need to find these random experts. Is there like a database <laughs> of just like random knowledge somewhere? How did you find him?
1: How did I find Dale? Uh, whew. What's been so great about working on this project is it seems to me like once you meet the right person, an entire network of people opens up. Actually, before this call, Tim, you and I realized we had a friend in common, Brandon Davis, right? Mm-hmm. Very random. Yeah. That, like I, I knew a guy that you know, and that happened to be through Todd Greenwood at FFA, who introduced me to somebody else, introduced me to somebody else. So it's really just word of mouth. I guess you just got to get out there and press the flesh, meet people, shake their hands, Tell them what you're up to. And if you seem genuine and well-intentioned, you know, they'll introduce you to somebody. So that's pretty much the answer. I guess the the more specific answer, but didn't exactly lead to my finding this grain entrapment expert, Dale, is that we a couple of years ago were introduced to a guy named Bill Field who teaches at the University of Purdue, and Bill uh, has been collecting statistics and information on grain entrapment accidents for a long time, and he's very well-respected in the educational community, and he has definitely opened up a network of people and a wealth of knowledge to us on the subject.
0: Well, I'm so excited about this. I, I really appreciate, Sammy, taking the time uh, because I'm, I'm just—I uh, I feel— like uh, I personally invested in this project now just because of uh, the excitement I have uh, to get this message out there. And I I think it is going to make for a very, very, Um, compelling story, whether or not you you knew of grain bin entrapments before this podcast or not. But thank you for taking the time. We're going to link up in the show notes because if you're listening out there and either you've always thought it would be interesting to invest in a movie you really believed in and you want to get in touch with Sam from an investment perspective, or you think you might want to have a community that you could distribute the movie to, uh, or you just are interested in when the movie comes out and you want to tune in, uh, Sam, why don't you give us that, uh, that website one more time?
1: Definitely. So we're at www.silothefilm.com, and then Facebook. Just search Silo the Film, and shout out to Tim Hamrick because I had never listened to an agriculture podcast, and I bopped around, listened to a bunch, and I love what you do. It's really actually helped form a lot of my opinions on the subject, and this. Is awesome. So, thank you so much for having me. This is great.
0: Well, we're definitely even that last part in. So, <laughs> thank you, Sam. I appreciate <laughs> appreciate you having you coming on the show. I and, and appreciate the kind words too. All right. Have a great week. How cool was that? On that was really a lot of fun for me to learn about the movie process and, and especially to talk about agriculture being brought to, uh, to the big screen. So I hope you enjoyed that interview. I know I did. It went a little bit longer than I'd like, but I just couldn't bring myself to cut anything out. Uh, enjoyed to hear Sam's passion for what he does and, and the passion that he's developed for the agriculture industry. Hey, if you have not heard, we are now part of the Farm in Rural Ag Network, which is kind of a first of its kind network of agriculture related podcasts. So you can check out more information about this show as well as several others at farmruralag.com. And while you're at it, Take 30 seconds and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, we just got a great review from Messin33 who says, interesting and diverse. My brother introduced me to the podcast and I have to say it is one of my favorites. I love the diverse guests that Tim has on and how he helps tell their stories. The podcast is professional and easy listening. Keep up the good work. And if you read this on the podcast, hi, Kevin, th- thanks for sharing this podcast with me. Kevin, thank you for sharing that. And th- uh, thank you, Messin33, for leaving the review. If you haven't yet, please take 30 seconds yourself. Leave us a positive rating and review so that we can spread the word about stories like Sam's and other cool stories happening in the industry of agriculture. Thanks so much for staying all the way to the end. And we will be back next week. Thank you for listening to the future of agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com. That's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.